Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here, as always, Chris Flaming, and today I have the honor of hosting Anthony Diaz on the podcast. His self-named law practice, based in Florida, specializes in providing clients with individualized attention and representation tailored to the outcomes that they desire. He is a Florida Supreme Court certified family law mediator and a recovering CPA. Anthony, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So you have kind of an interesting backstory. Can you kind of walk me briefly through that on what led you to where you are today and your focus? Sure. So I'm going to keep it brief, but it is an interesting journey. I'd always wanted to be an attorney. And in my last semester in, in high school, I had an opportunity to do an internship with a judge in New York City. It was very exciting, and I was definitely pleased with not having to go to classes in my last semester. Right. So um, started to spend this internship with a judge, and uh, New York City has a lot of uh, savory characters and cases and all that stuff, and found out that um, he was accused of some things that he did when he was in government office and um, he had to step down from the bench mm. w- while this investigation was going on. So I'm like, okay, what's going to happen here? So I got to sit in on all the other judges and how the, they do things. And, you know, it was really intimidating to see the legal process, see deals being made in the back. And Mm -hmm. I had this ideal way, like law and order on kind Mm -hmm. of things, how things should be. And I said, if this is how to be an attorney, I don't want any part of that. Mm -hmm. So I went to college and decided to go into accounting and became a CPA, worked in New York City, then moved into different states and moved up the accounting ladder to ultimately being a CFO of some companies, um, did quite well, but it wasn't satisfying. It was very repetitive and rote and how a lot of accounting is. And I decided at 35, 36 years old that I wanted to go back to law school. I saw the world in a different place and saw that I can make an impact and I, I don't have to be a back deal type of attorney, I can make a difference. So went to law school, graduated, was in the state attorney's office, did a lot of cases there, went out of my own. And ultimately, through my own divorce and through the um, craziness that happens sometimes going through a divorce, I realized that there was an area there that I can make a difference. I was an attorney I didn't handle my own divorce, but I looked at how hard it was for me having a legal background. Imagine how 
hard it is for people who have no idea about the law and going through a highly charged, emotional, life-changing part of their life. So I decided to, to move into family law. Having a financial background was is really helpful since many of the issues are f- financial. Then I took it one step further and looking at all the conflict and how things play out in court to look at other ways of, of resolving divorce out-of-court resolutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I was introduced to collaborative divorce and mediation. And that's now a, a, a major part of my practice to be known as the peacemaker and to help clients resolve cases peacefully and, and, and amicably. Okay. That's great. And that kind of leads me into something that I wanted to ask you along those lines. So if you could go back in time when you first started your law practice, maybe tell the younger Anthony something, give that younger person, the younger you some advice, something you know now that you wish you knew when you started out, what do you think that might be? Probably to, let me say, what was helpful was having a lot of mentors Mm. and, and people to ask for help. So I would definitely say there are people that are in your community that have gone through what you're going through, starting your own firm, that want to pay it forward, want to be able to help you, to give you a better experience, and to help you being an attorney. And that will be helpful in the attorney community to have people that are supportive and to have people who are starting out. So for me, I could have reached out even more. Mm. Um, you know, when you start and you're an attorney, you think you're supposed to know everything. Right. Yeah, you're on and, an island. And, <laughs> right. But you know the theory, but you don't know the practice until mm-hmm. you do it. And I made a lot of mistakes that taught me what not to do, but I wish I would have leaned on some other people before making decisions. And and, and I think I would have made some better decisions in, in my practice. Okay. So, and I, I noticed in my research before our session today that you describe yourself as assertive, approachable. So I was hoping maybe you could explain what you mean by that and how you feel like that served your clients well in representing them. Sure. Well, clients want to somebody who's on their side mm-hmm. and want to make sure that you're coming from a place of knowledge and you know what you're doing taking their preferences into effect, but being able to articulate to them, you know, here are really are better ways to, to do things. So people can always ask me questions, whether it's my clients or out there, I'm very open, vulnerable. And if they want to know anything, they can ask me. But at the end of the day, you're being asked by your clients to, to bat for them and you really need to be uh, to be assertive to get that point out with with other attorneys you don't have to be aggressive and there are some attorneys that are that way but to be persuasive and to make a good argument for why you think it should be so being approachable is helpful for the clients being assertive is helpful for the clients and the other attorney as well yeah well and so many times i think people think they either have to win at the expense of relationships, right? And and you can actually have both, right? Depending on the approach that you use, both sides can feel like they've got to win to some degree. And the, I don't mean the marriage per se, but the relationship with everyone talking and trying to work together, they still get to the, the end that they want to. Yeah. And, you know, the beauty of doing 
what I do, and that's really to not let the courts make the decision. Mm-hmm. When the courts are involved and, and people sometimes don't know they have other options, they're leaving it up to the judge to make yeah. a decision. Mm-hmm. And many times it's a win-lose situation. Well, right. if you're getting a certain outcome, sometimes that, that negatively impacts the other party. Yeah. When you use all the out-of-court solutions and it's like tools in a toolbox, most if not all of them take into consideration both parties' needs and goals. And you can craft an outcome that addresses each of the party's needs without somebody coming out on the losing end. Yeah. I want to get into that a little bit in a second on those alternative methods that we're talking about other than letting the the court decide. Um, First, I want to ask you, though, do you find that there are some general misconceptions that clients may have about the work that you help them with or the things that you help them overcome? Well, one of them is whether we go out of court or in court, some of my clients and other clients feel like the outcome of the case is all based on the attorney, mm. based on how you advocate, how you persuade, you know, what your charisma is. And that really impacts the case. And they're really short changing themselves. My mm-hmm. education to them, this case is more about you than me. I'm going to advise you and tell you what the law is and what some good options are. But by staying out of court, you're empowered to make decisions on your life because you know the case better th- than I do, even though I'm your attorney. So, you know, clients don't really understand the power they have in deciding their own case. And, you know, part of my introduction with my clients is really explaining this is the, the process I do. I don't do in-court divorce. And this is why resolving your case is important for you. So mm-hmm. that's the the misconception that I've had the opportunity to, to educate clients on. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you clarifying that. Um, let's jump into some of your areas of expertise, Anthony. So sure. let's start with marriage agreements. So um, people have heard a lot of these terms that are kind of thrown around what they are, the difference. So there's prenuptial, and then there is postnuptial. And maybe you can kind of help us get past the stigma around why those are needed at all. And sure. when are they kind of advised in your opinion? Sure. So when you're married and going through a divorce, there are certain laws that come into play mm-hmm. determining what the assets are, what mm-hmm. are assets acquired during the marriage and what assets were acquired before. That's already in place. You're already married. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any agreements beforehand, the court's going to use the law to go ahead and distribute those assets and debts. For those who are coming into the marriage with assets and debts, and want to be able to make sure there is no question or confusing that these assets are premarital and not included in the marital estate if there's a divorce, that's the importance of having a premarital agreement. Some parties come into the marriage where there's a disparate amount of income or Mm -hmm. or assets, and the person that's got the greater of the amount wants to to make sure if there's a divorce that their heirs really are entitled to those assets. If you don't have an agreement beforehand, there are things that happen during the marriage. Assets get commingled and it makes a premarital asset 
confusing on whether it's still premarital or in the marital estate. So it's mm-hmm. really important that if you want to make sure these assets you came into the marriage are protected or the debts that you came into the marriage to the other party might say, hey, listen, those are your debts. I don't mm-hmm. want that to get commingled. I need that identified. So before the parties get married, this is the best time to do these agreements because everybody is, is everything is going great. You're getting yeah. excited about the marriage, but it's a little clunky sometimes to say, we love each other to death do us part. But you know what? Let's have an agreement just in case there's a divorce. So you have to intellectually really buy into that and say, yeah, this is my intention, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Let's have an agreement beforehand so we don't have to worry about fighting over these things. And it really makes a divorce a lot cleaner if it does wind up happening. Okay. And so uh, that's a prenuptial. Now, a postnup would be something similar, only it's just done after the marriage. Is that true? Correct. Like, okay. um, and there might be some things that happen during <clears throat> the marriage. Let's say a business gets created. Mm-hmm. Um, and one spouse really created the business and does all of the, the business, well, that's still a marital asset because it occurred during the, the, the marriage. So if yeah. one party recognizes that this could potentially be a marital asset because it happened to, during the marriage, but the other spouse really didn't participate in that, mm-hmm. that's the time to say, okay, we're already married. This would normally be a marital asset, but we've decided to carve that part out of our potential marital estate. And if we do get divorced, that's going to be exempt from any any division. It could be an asset or yeah. it could be a, a major loan that's yeah. taken, but it really, the loan affects really only one party. The other party shouldn't be on the hook for something that may be marital, but they had no, no involvement yeah. in. Okay. That makes sense. That clears that up. So Moving on just a little bit, in in the unfortunate case where ending the marriage is being considered, um, I noticed that there's divorce and this thing called disillusion of marriage. Okay. So can you clarify that? Is there a difference between the two and maybe the pros and the cons of those? There really isn't. Divorce is the word that everybody knows. It's it's like, you know, when you buy prescriptions or whatever, there's the name brand and the generic brand, you know, so the, the name brand would be divorce, Mm -hmm. you know, but the generic brand is really the name that it's, it really, it came from that nobody really knows dissolution of marriage. It's like that. Nobody really knows. That's a legal term of art. It's in the statute. It's in the law. But but if you say, you know what, dear, I really want a dissolution of marriage. Right. Well, nobody really knows what that is, but people know what divorce is. Sure. So it's used interchangeably, but it really depends. If you're doing a legal document, you got to use dissolution of marriage. If you're talking in conversation, divorce is usually what everybody knows and identifies with. Okay. Yeah. Nobody really says acetaminophen when they're talking about pain relievers or something <laughs> right. like that, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. And you you alluded to this earlier, but there are different types of divorce as well. So you mentioned, you know, you have the court one, then you have uh, mediation, you have, um, I think the other one you said is when it's it was a C word or something like that. Collaborative divorce. It's collaborative, right. So maybe give us just like a 30,000 foot definition of each of those. 
Sure. So, you know, the way I think of, of divorce is like a spectrum, you know, and you have the one extreme and you have the, the other extreme. Okay. So the one extreme is like the War of the Roses. You know, if everybody remembers that yeah. movie. And when I saw it, I said, nah, that, that, there aren't cases like that. No, there are cases like that. Okay. It may, it may not be people hanging off the chandelier and falling down, but it's that animosity that people like yeah. almost will want to ki- kill each other. Yeah. Well, those are in court fighting. Attorneys are going at it. Spouses are going at it. There's going to be a winner and a loser. Okay. Yeah. So that's the one extreme. The other extreme is people decide on their own. They want to get divorced. We're going to do it on our own. We don't need attorneys. We'll just go fill out the paperwork. So mm-hmm. that's the other extreme. I don't recommend that because in every divorce, there are things that are unique and needs to, to be in agreement and people aren't attorneys. So, yeah. so I always recognize, you know, say, well, if it's that easy, why don't you meet with me as a mediator? So the next step up is let's do a mediation. I don't mm-hmm. represent either of the parties or, or the spouses. I'll be an independent, neutral facilitator that can help you look over all the issues to make sure you haven't forgotten anything. If you get into a place where you're not really sure on things, I can't advise you or advocate for each of you, but I can tell you what the law is if you went to court. And I can help you goals and options. Well, we have a house Well, you can sell it or each of you can buy each other out where you can Mm -hmm. rent it and sell it later. So mediation is still out of court and it's coming to a resolution without attorneys. The next step up after that, because sometimes it's a little bit more complicated. The spouses need a little bit more support and there are things going on that need some other professionals. That's where what's called the collaborative process comes in. Um, You have two attorneys uh, that each represent their client, the spouse or parent. Mm -hmm. That attorney is collaboratively trained, which means you take specific training to learn how to do the collaborative process, how not to be a litigator, how to Mm -hmm. be a collaborator, Mm -hmm. which not every attorney is able to do. You also have a team. You have professionals that are neutrals that don't represent either side that help the process. You have a facilitator that's usually a mental health expert, and that person helps with doing the parenting plan if there are children. Mm -hmm. You have a financial neutral, could be a CPA, could be an accountant. Their job is to take care of all the financial aspects. So the beauty of a collaborative process case is you have experts that stay in their lane. Attorneys don't know anything about co-parenting. They don't know anything about finances, although I do, most don't. Why would you have them be responsible for those parts of the case? In the collaborative process, the attorneys say, I'm going to advise you, I'm going to represent you, but we are going to allow the financial person to help you explore options, going to allow the facilitator to help you look at options for your children. So it's a win-win for everybody. And the clients only get charged for the expert that's working for them. They don't have to pay their attorney to do the the finances. The Mm -hmm. financial experts paid a little bit less. So the fees for that case are really properly distributed. Mm -hmm. Um, You agree to stay out of court and it's a much more amicable, uh, a peaceful process that everybody gets what they need. 
So the only step that might be occurring there with court is then when you have the, the final agreements that everyone's collaborated on, then it does have to be filed. Correct. Well, that's another good point. The collaborative process is confidential. Um, okay. Now, okay. every state is different, but in Florida, you can have all of the documents be confidential. Sealed or, yeah, whatever. Sealed right. or just not available for yeah. public viewing. Okay. You have the marital settlement agreement that has all of the financial information not filed, a final judgment is prepared that says, here's what we did. Yeah. Um, here's the people are divorced, but the attorneys are holding on to the settlement agreements. They don't have to be filed. So in the event there's a dispute, one of the attorneys that has the agreement now is able to bring that agreement into court. Mm-hmm. But but uh, until that point, the, the only thing that's a public record are, are people know that, that you're divorced and it keeps out all the other information that you really don't want people knowing what your finances are. You yeah. owned a house, you owned investments. That's really not, should be public knowledge, but unless you take steps through the collaborative process, it, it will be. Okay. Yeah. You don't want anybody in your business. If you're exactly. in a small town, everybody's in your business anyway. Right. So we don't, need any, we don't need more. <laughs> okay. So obviously when you're the type of clients that you're helping, this is an extremely emotional or can be a very emotionally driven event. So I'm, I'm curious how you manage client expectations and their emotions while guiding them through the different steps of the process. So again, I've been through, a lot of people have been through divorce. We understand the, the emotional aspect. So when when they come to hire me, you know, on either side of the divorce, the person who wants the divorce, it's not yeah. working out, let's go start the process. Or it's somebody who had no idea the other spouse wanted a divorce and gets either served with papers or have that conversation that starts out with, we need to have a difficult conversation. And, yeah. and you know, from that point, it's not going to be a good thing. Yeah. So these people are coming in kind of raw. Even if you wanted the divorce, you have a lot of feelings, maybe guilt. So my initial role is to is to meet them where they are and say, I know that this is a tough time. Let's talk about what you're feeling. I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach also. So I'm kind of helpful in in getting all this information out. Then I explain to them the options they have and, and explaining uh, how each choice they have of an end resolution is going to affect their emotions. If they mm. want to go, go to court and fight it out, let me tell you, your emotions going to be all over the place. And this is what you can expect. Mm-hmm. If you would like a more amicable, less stressful situation that the emotion is going to be involved, but not quite to the same level. We talk about all the other out-of-court resolutions and how each of them are going to affect their emotions. So the emotions are always going to be there, but they're easily managed by me and my client by the, the type of court process that they choose. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I could see where if it's the court route that you're going, where that would be more emotionally charged. Yeah, in it would be. Cases. And especially if you have children, right. this is where it really comes in. You know, children, unfortunately, are brought into cases, especially when there's court and, and the children kind of see their parents going at it. They get scared. They don't want to take sides. Yeah. And it, it really has a detrimental um, effect on them. 
Well, and you bring something up because you always hear people say like, oh, the kids will be fine. Or, you know, as long as we kind of keep them guarded from what's going on, then they'll, they'll adjust and they'll be okay. Have, have you found that like generalization to be true? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it has some impact on them, right? Oh, I mean, any divorce is going to have an impact on children. I went through a divorce, you know, as a child and you don't really know what's going on and you don't have the emotional capacity yet mm -hmm. to really to take things in. But I want to tell you, and this is why I'm such a uh, proponent and passionate about collaborative divorce. I see what happens with children when they see their parents going through an amicable outcome. Mm -hmm. They see their parents work together they're not scared. They have to take sides. Mm -hmm. They see, even though that they have to go from one parent to another, it's it's seamless. It's it's amicable. And Chris, what I will tell you, and this is why I'm really passionate about it, is the long-term effects of children who go through a collaborative divorce. Now, when they get older, and the statistics are starting to come in on this, mm -hmm. they're much better well prepared for conflict in their life. If they have a relationship issue, their parents have modeled for them the way to handle relationship conflict. Mm -hmm. And even if mm -hmm. a relationship ends, you can do it in a way that's amicable and peaceful. Now these children not only have been raised in that in that environment, now are ready and able to handle those situations when they get out in the world. And children of divorce that have gone through, you know, a really difficult and stressful divorce have a lot of issues recovering from that mm -hmm. and are, you know, in more of a position to repeat those situations when they get older, because that's what they were exposed to. Yeah, right. Not that it's like a generational curse, but it just, it has an influence on them if they saw it as a negative experience and a way that one of the parents wanted to get out, then not that they want to repeat the behavior, but you revert to what you remember. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that leads me in. You, you mentioned kind of an inner piece in there. So outside of your practice, I want you to talk a little bit about something that you're really passionate about personally. And I know it's part of your skill set that you do with people. So I really like the way you said it on your website. You want to try to move people from inner pain and outer conflict to a place of inner peace and outer joy. So can you, can you just talk about um, that passion that you have? So, you know, I'm very, and it, it's used in a lot of different ways with people, but, you know, I, I do have a spiritual background. You know, I, I believe that we're really in charge of our own destiny. And a lot of it is what we know about ourselves and the work we do within ourselves to understand the impact that we can have in the world and the abundance and, and, and the life that we want to have. So I... Many of my conversations with my clients are, what do you want to do when your divorce is over? Mm -hmm. What do you look forward to? What does your life look like? And start to get them to go within and really look at what's going on inside. What's their passion? What's driving them? And if you don't bring that up, they stay in the place of, oh, my God, I'm going through a divorce. What's going to happen after the divorce? You have a lot of fears. But I'd like them and I encourage them to look at 
the positive aspects after divorce. You, you're able to do the things maybe you never did before. Mm. Um, you can have some time alone to really understand maybe s- some patterns in your life that keep repeating themselves in your relationships. Now's a good time to, to take some time to, to look at that. So it's work I, I do on myself. And that's, that's the work I did after my divorce and it helped me to, to look at what I wanted to do next and not spend time beating myself up for what might've happened, but what can I do differently? And that's mm. a skill and an understanding that I have that I think it's important for everybody. Um, but specifically with people going through a divorce and, and looking at life after divorce, yeah. what's next? Yeah. Well, then that self-reflection is so important. You know, a lot of people have trouble thinking about, okay, well, this happened. It wasn't what I wanted. What role did I play in it occurring? Right. Absolutely. And then, and then then how can I then move in another direction to, to ensure that that is unlikely to happen again? Right. That takes a lot of, well, adult maturity and a lot of self-reflection and you, and a lot of self-honesty, which we're all capable of, but it's still a challenge. Well, also, and this is really why taking the out-of-court process in divorce really helps you to do that. Because when you're in the midst of chaos in court, the last thing you want to do is, oh, well, well here's what's next. I'm going to do some inner work. You're already yeah. in chaos. Right. But when you have a more of a peaceful process and an amicable process, would I, you know, what's incredible is being able to work with my clients during the divorce. What do you want to have have happen next? You don't have to wait until your divorce is over. If Mm -hmm. you're in a good place in the divorce process and it's going along smoothly, you are, you do have the capacity to go and start that self-reflection and looking ahead. Mm -hmm. So when your divorce is over, you don't have to say, Oh my God, what's next. You've already started that, that thought process and Mm -hmm. that, that understanding of what you want to do. So you're excited in Mm -hmm. some ways about this process being over because now you can really start the next part of your life. Yeah. Oh, that's well said. I like that. So Along those lines, then, um, is there any just general advice that maybe you could give our audience on having more inner peace and outer joy? Well, to me, having a practice, having rituals that you do, can call it a lot of things. For me, it's a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. What things can you do to give yourself time to, to kind of go within? My practice is, as I wake up in the morning, I do meditation. Mm-hmm. I do some reading that helps me to go within and to tend to look at things. I journal and I also have a support system of people who are the same mindset that, that I can go and bounce the things off and, and they have a, a like-minded way of, of doing things. So I think doing things that help you to do, and I call it self-care. Mm. These are things that really help you mentally, physically, and, and emotionally. What things make you happy and and things that are fun or easy to do that will help you to do that self-reflection and have the support that you need going forward. Okay, great. That's good advice. Um, so we're getting close to the end. I want to kind of ask you some questions about your practice to conclude. What do you see as maybe the biggest opportunity for the future of your, of your practice? So, Again, I've been uh, transforming 
into an out-of-court process. I'm not mm -hmm. totally there, but mm -hmm. w w what the vision of the practice is, is to help people have an out-of-court experience. And there are many ways to do that. So I want to work with people who really have that mindset because it's going to make my job and their life and process easier. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm looking to, to attract and get referrals. I uh, would also like to do more divorce coaching people thinking about divorce, me helping them go through the process. You can have a divorce coach in the middle of a divorce, and I don't have to be your divorce attorney, but I could be your divorce coach behind the scenes, <laughs> helping you to really start to look at what does life look like after divorce and do a post-divorce coach. You know, let's say you're, you're out there and you're still struggling. You haven't been able to really segue from marriage to being single and, and looking at, you know, how to make that transition easier. What's holding you back from doing that? You know, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to embrace to make that transition more seamless? Okay. I think I have a, a potential marketing slogan in there for you out of, out of court divorce, kind of like an out of body experience. Okay. The focus yeah, is, I like that. Our focus is that <laughs> to stay out of court. We want you to have an out of court experience. All right. Yeah, I don't want any royalties on that, Anthony. You can just okay. Okay. I'll, I'll keep you in mind, though. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So, on the flip side of that, um, what do you think maybe is your biggest challenge or an obstacle that you're hoping to uh, overcome in your in your practice? Well, I think really educating people. And mm -hmm. that's why, I, you know, um, I so appreciate being on your podcast to be able to get this message out to everybody. Helping people one-on-one -on -one is fabulous. It, it gives me great satisfaction. But there are a lot of people out there getting divorced yeah. or looking to get divorced right. that I want to reach more quickly. So that's the biggest challenge is to get that out in many different avenues and, and mediums. And I'm only the one person, but you know, my goal is to reach everybody that is thinking about divorce and to let them know what their options are. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, half of the population is going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how big of a challenge that is, because that's a lot of people. Yeah. But, but, you know, each day, you know, I look at and say, how can I reach more people? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that is a daunting task, you know, given that statistic. Um, but I, I like your, I like your vision. So if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what, what do you think is, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Three ways. They can go on my website, anthonydiazlaw.com. You can see all the, the ways there. There's also a contact form. You, okay. you can do that. You can go on my coaching website. That's anthonyjdiaz.com. I have free downloads of eBooks I've done. And one of them is Divorce with Dignity. So, you know, if you want Divorce with Dignity, there's a free ebook there for you. My email address is anthony at anthonydiazlaw.com. Send me an email and we can set up a call or you can call me directly. Uh, it's area code 407-212-7807. Those are all the ways to get in contact with me. I, I will reach back out to you, but I really encourage you to go to my coaching website to go and download that ebook because it really has some, some good thoughts on if you're in the middle of divorce, mm -hmm. thinking of, of divorce on, on how to make that more dignified. Okay, great. Thank you. Listen, Anthony, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. This has been a true pleasure. I learned a lot, very informative. 
And I want to thank everybody for tuning in, listening, and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we are raising the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for watching, listening, tuning in. And thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you being um, having me here and, and be able to, to have a nice conversation. Yeah, it's great. Everyone be well and take care. See you next time. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.